Good morning. Good to see everybody here. As we begin, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask if you've ever had uh, this kind of experience where people are looking upon the same event and yet having uh, completely opposite reactions to it. Ever experienced that? Of course you have. Uh, I'm going to share a story. I've shared it w- uh, with you before, but it was a couple years ago, and this church turns over every three years or so. So, but it's it's the craziest, one of the craziest things that's ever happened in my life. So, forewarned. It was in my last year of seminary. I was serving as the worship director at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo, Florida. So I was on staff, and this was a random Sunday in January of 2005, and. Our main pastor was out of town, and so we had a guest preacher come in that day whose name was Jack Arnold. But Jack was not unfamiliar to the congregation because he was actually the pastor emeritus. He was the former pastor of the church. He he was now working for a missions organization, but he would come back and preach every so often at the church that he used to serve. And Jack was a mountain of a man. He was a larger-than-life character, played basketball for John Wooden at UCLA once upon a time, just an incredible human being. And he was preaching this rather excellent sermon on that day when about two-thirds through the sermon, sometime after quoting his life verse, which is Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then sometime after speaking longingly for heaven, Jack stopped, grabbed the pulpit, swayed briefly, and then fell straight backwards and died right there on the spot about eight rows in front of me, massive heart attack. The medics got there and said he was gone before he hit the floor, thankfully. But obviously, this is a, this is a crazy experience, and, and, and the story gained national attention. It was on the AP Newswire. It was the most read story on Yahoo for a while. Every major media outline, outlet headlined the story, like, preacher dies while preaching of heaven. That's incredible. Even the famous radio broadcaster Paul Harvey did a segment on it. Anybody know who Paul Harvey is anymore? Okay, thank you. Anyway, the reaction of those who were outside the room where it happened was overwhelmingly positive, right? They were like, how cool, how amazing. What a way to go out for a preacher doing the thing that he loved. But the reaction of those who, of us who were inside the room is a little bit different, right? It's like how traumatic how terrifying. I'd never seen anyone die before. I was on staff. I had no idea what to do. I couldn't sleep for, for days. It was really crazy. The exact same event, two completely different reactions, right? So let me ask you, what is your reaction when I say that Christ is going to return to judge the living and the dead? I'm guessing that your action is probably somewhat negative, right? Maybe possibly influenced by really bad Christian apocalyptic fiction from the 90s, maybe. <laughs> the idea, even when we hear it, the, the idea of the return of Christ to judge the world sounds terrifying. We, we're uncomfortable with the word judge and even the concept of judgment. We're confused about what, what's actually going to happen and what it means for us and for our neighbors and for the world. Many of us would just prefer to avoid the conversation altogether. Now, compare your reaction with the reaction of creation in Psalm 96. It's the words we use as our call to worship today. There it says, let the heavens be glad. 
Let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Why are they doing all this? For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. There it is, same event, completely different reactions. For us, the idea of Jesus coming to judge is mostly negative. For creation, it's overwhelmingly positive. They're throwing a party at the idea. So we need to ask, what does creation understand that we don't? What are we missing? I think the answer is in Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is groaning, friends, in the pains of childbirth to be set free from its bondage to corruption, from its subjection to futility. In other words, it longs to be set free from all the effects of sin and misery and evil that has been afflicted upon it since the fall of mankind. How have you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered if, if creation personified, because that's kind of what's happening in the psalm, right? It's like personifying creation. They're clapping their hands and singing. Have you ever wondered if creation personified hates the destruction that it wreaks on the world sometimes? And the havoc that it brings to people? Hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, floods. It's as if creation is saying, this is not what I was made to do. This is not how it's supposed to be. Somebody please set me free. And the only one who can set it free is the world's true king. And when the creation sees Jesus, the king, returning to judge, it's going to go nuts. Seas will roar, fields will exult, trees will sing for joy, for he comes to judge the earth. The Hebrew word for judge is shafat, which means to put everything to right order. To put everything back together again. To restore what is broken, to heal what is wounded, to free everything to be what it's supposed to be. And creation cannot wait. And brothers and sisters, neither should we. In our series, our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, we are to the line where we confess that we believe that the Jesus who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, we believe that from there, one day, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And today, I want to try to convince you that Jesus' return to judge is part of the good news of the gospel. It is, yes, we're talking about good news of judgment It's not something to be avoided or embarrassed about, but to be celebrated, anticipated, along with the whole creation. So, let's dig in. We're going to look together, we're going to read again from the book of Hebrews to learn what it means if you are a Christian and you confess this creed to believe in the Son who is returning to judge the living and the dead. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Hebrews, uh, the end of chapter 9 and the end of chapter 10 together. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, 
So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And now in chapter 10, therefore let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? is outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who so, those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Forget a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for the, read, for the preaching of God's word. Our Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your help each and every week, but we especially ask for help when talking about something that makes us uncomfortable. We thank you that we are not left to ourselves, that we have your word and we have your spirit. And we pray the power of your word and your spirit would be at work now to open our eyes to give us the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I pray for myself that I would proclaim not myself, but Jesus as Lord, and myself as just a servant for Jesus' sake. I pray that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, would shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. To be seated. If you are a Christian, you believe that from there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. How in the world is this good news? <laughs> well, friends, there's just one point today. And it's this, it's simply good news because of the one who is coming to judge. Because of the one who is coming to judge. Now, I've never been in such uh, legal proceedings personally, but I do know, I've walked with enough people to know that who you get as a judge is really important in your legal case. Their background, their experience, their temperament, their history, all of this determines what kind of judge they will be and whether it's going to work out well for you. Well, brothers and sisters, how much more important then is, is who you get as judge of the world and of everyone in it? The author of Hebrews makes it clear what is affirmed all over the Bible, which is that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 
Or as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what is absolutely true of everyone in this room and everyone who's ever lived, we will all die and we will all face judgment. This is the appointed lot of every person who ever lived. And everything depends upon who we get as the judge. His background, his experience, his temperament, his history. Brothers and sisters, thanks be to God that our judge is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because first of all, notice from where he comes. The creed says, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Well, where is there? Well, there is the right hand of God, which we talked about a lot last week. It's the place of highest honor and power and authority. It means his is the seat above all seats and the name that is above all names. In fact, the scriptures tell us that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Father has given all authority in heaven and on earth to the Son. He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Because the Son is the highest authority in heaven and earth, there is no one more qualified to judge and to judge rightly, to judge truly. If you think about it, our whole judicial system is designed so that you can appeal to higher and higher courts, right? You can appear to higher and higher authority all the way to the Supreme Court in the pursuit of justice. And even though human beings don't get it right all the time, the principle is, same, is still true. Because the highest court is the court of the Lord. And the highest authority is the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you can trust him to get every judgment absolutely right. This is why the creation is so excited. It's like finally someone who is qualified to judge with perfect righteousness and equity and justice. Finally. Or to change the illustration a little bit, imagine you're hosting a music competition the judge shows up who's going to judge your music competition, and you ask, hey, where'd you come from? And they say, I came from Juilliard. You're going to say, all right, we're good, right? You know that you are in good hands. They know what they're doing. How much more so that Jesus is the one who comes to judge because he comes from the right hand of God, from the ultimate place of authority. Secondly, notice the judge's background. We talked about this a good bit in Hebrews as well, is that before he ascended to the highest place of honor, he descended to the lowest place of humility. He became a human being. And that means our judge is qualified not just because he's fully God and he has all authority, but because he's fully man, and therefore he has all compassion. He knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. This has been a constant theme throughout Hebrews. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. Hebrews 4.15, But we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And Hebrews 5.2, my favorite, He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. See, friends, it's one thing to have a judge who has all all power and all authority because he's so far above you. It's another to have a judge who has all mercy and sympathy and gentleness because he has come all the way down to you. 
He stands not just above you, but alongside you. And that means he understands the extenuating circumstances of your life. Don't you just wish somebody understood the extenuating circumstances of your life? He gets it. He knows the intricacies, the challenges, the temptations, the sufferings, the weakness of being human. And he takes that into account in his perfect judgment. In this way, unbelievably, he's actually more qualified than even God the Father to be the judge. Because he became one of us. He gets the human condition. I read the most amazing story this week. It's perfect for my sermon prep. Thanks to the Madison newspaper for that. It's about the story about a Madison judge by the name of Everett Mitchell. I don't know if any of you guys saw this story, but it's about the way he has handled the case of a man named Charles Green. As the story goes, you should look it up after I'm done telling you about it. But Mr. Green has been in and out of the criminal justice system for a majority of his life. But his life actually began to really change about two years ago when he ended up in front of Judge Mitchell in Dane, County, in Dane County's high-risk drug court. And Mr. Green says that everything about how Judge Mitchell does things is different. He treats those who come before him with dignity. He doesn't use the word defendant in his court. He calls people by their names. He treats people with compassion. He sees addictions as a sickness rather than just viewing them as straight criminals. Judge Mitchell takes a personal interest in those who come before him. He gets to know them. He tries to find out something unique about each person so he can help in their recovery. And he found out that Mr. Green has a passion for chess. So Judge Mitchell said, I promise you that if you meet your goals, and if you keep on the path of sobriety, then you and I are going to play one-on-one in chess. And it happened this week. This week in the courtroom, Judge Mitchell came down from the bench, and he sat across from Mr. Green, and he played him in chess. Listen to what Mr. Green said. He said, that made me feel wonderful. I was at a point in my life where I was having a hard time, and to be able to do that, do everything I have to do and get the judge to come down and sit with me, I was on it. He said, and I beat him too. (laughs) He added with a laugh. Mr. Green concluded, it was just such a beautiful thing to be together. Two black men playing chess together. Drug court is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Because the right judge can make all the difference. And our judge is the most qualified. He's the most compassionate. He's the most wonderful. Because he's the judge who's came all the way down to us. But finally, friends, it gets even better. Because not only did the judge come down to identify with us, he actually came down to rescue us by taking our judgment upon himself. It's as if the judge stepped down from his bench and then he put himself in the place of the defendant. And he actually took the sentencing upon himself. Jesus is, as one theologian put it, the judge who was judged for us. That means the one who is coming to judge is the very one who has already bore our judgment. As the Heidelberg Catechism says so beautifully, we're going to confess it later in the service. The question is the question we are asking. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? Why is it good news? Answer, in all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God and so has removed the whole curse from me. How lucky are we that the one we await as judge is also our Savior. 
How glad are you that he is the one that's going to show up as judge. Nobody else. It won't be your mother-in-law who shows up to judge, right? Or whomever it is in your life that is most critical of you. It won't even be your own internal judge that constantly condemns you. None of those will be your judge. It will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now we have to say, our reading from Hebrews does give us a warning, doesn't it? He says, the warning is that this is only good news if you have accepted Christ's once and for all sacrifice for your sins. It's because to refuse Christ's sacrifice, to turn and to go your own way, we read it. It says that is to, to trample underfoot the Son of God. What does that mean? One commentator says, what we trample underfoot, we regard as completely worthless. Worthless. It's to treat the Son and what He has done for us with other contempt. The author says it is to profane the blood of the covenant. That is to count Christ's sacrifice as common, ordinary, nothing special. Or is to outrage the Spirit of grace. That means it's an affront, it's an insult to the Holy Spirit, the very one who works in your heart to lead you to the grace of Jesus. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, is, that, is that as if we ran up a massive credit card bill. And Jesus says, hey, let me take care of that for you out of my own riches and grace. And you reply, no, thank you. I got it. I'll take care of it myself. Or you even despise his generosity and the idea that you even need help, right? Friends, the Bible says that every one of us has a debt of sin before God. We were born into debt. We've only added to the bill ourselves. And not just in doing bad things, but that, but even for living for the wrong good things, making gods out of those things and living ultimately for them. And the Bible says that deep down we are all aware of that debt in our souls. One theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr once wrote that the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. We all know it. Deep down, we know it. We know that we're not what we should be. We know there's a debt, and somebody has to pay that debt. And the Scripture says the wages of sin is death. So the question is, for all of us, are you going to allow Jesus to pay that debt for you through His death? Or are you going to continue in some form of self-salvation? Will you rely on his sacrifice, or will you keep just offering your own sacrifices of, I'll be better, I'll be kind, I'll seek justice, I'll become an advocate, I'll volunteer? Hebrews says there's only one sacrifice for sin, and it is Christ. And to reject that sacrifice is to be left with no sacrifice at all. It's to cut yourself off from the only means of forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, that will be justice, too, though we may not like it. PCA pastor and author Tim Keller has said, Hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. I'll say that again. Hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. He's sort of borrowing from C.S. Lewis there, and this totally makes sense. Because if you wanted nothing to do with God in this life, then that is what you will receive in the life to come, the absence of God. 
If you have set the hope of your life on some form of self-salvation, right, trying desperately to erase the, the debt of your own sin on your own, and in the end, Jesus will let you pay it. But it won't be an acceptable sacrifice for sins. And this will be actual justice. And I know how we feel about that. We like the idea of justice when it comes to like uh, people we think are truly evil in the world. We agree with the Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf who says that if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make the final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. We say amen to that because we simply cannot live in a world where those who perpetrate violence and injustice, who enslave others, who traffic women and children, who kidnap Haitian missionaries, we cannot live in a world if they will not face an ultimate reckoning even if they have managed to escape justice in this life. This is untenable for us. To abandon the belief that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead is to abandon the only real hope that one day things will actually be made right for those who have been sinned against. But brothers and sisters, it will be no less justice when it comes to plain old regular sinners like you and me, the ones with more respectable sins. To ignore who Christ is what he did for you is such a great cost to, to turn away, to go your own way, is to trample underfoot the Son of God. One commentator concludes, he who abandons God as Savior will meet him as judge. Now, thankfully, after speaking these words of warning to us, the author ends with words of comfort. And so that's what I want to end with you this morning. How can you be assured? How can you remain rooted in Christ your whole life long? For your entire days to live and to die by faith, how can you? Well, two, two applications. First, the author says to look back to when you first believed. Look at verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is after you became a Christian, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is brilliant. He says, look back over your life. Remember those times when you realize that this world is not what it's all about. That you knew that you have a better and a more lasting possession to come. He says, remember what first moved you to give up the whole world in order to gain Christ. What enabled you to follow him no matter what it cost you. He says, hold on to that. Look back and remember where you have been with Christ. But secondly, he also says to look forward to what is to come. Because you are closer now to the return of the Lord than you've ever been. And again now, and again now. Look at verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous ones shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. As one commentator says, we have more future with God than past. 
the Christian faith is like you're running a marathon. In the grand scheme of things, it's like we're maybe on mile 23 out of 26. So the author says, don't quit. Don't quit now. You're so close. Don't throw away your confidence. Your reward is great, and it's right there. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and he will not delay. The author says, if you live by faith, not by sight, then you will be one of those who does not shrink back at the coming of the Lord. But as those who have faith and preserve their souls, you'll be right there with creation, roaring with the seas, exulting with the fields, singing with the forest with joy before the Lord. Why? Because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is actually good news. Let me pray and let's ask God to help us. Our Father, as we sang earlier, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And if I have Christ, if we have Christ, then we have everything. Thank you that we are in his hands, the true judge of the earth. Thank you he's the most qualified, he has the most authority, he has the most compassion. But thank you most of all that he has taken away the sins of the world. So we don't have to be afraid, not one day. When we see him coming on the clouds, we can rejoice because the, the, the one who's coming to judge is also our Savior, who has already bore the penalty for us. Thank you, Lord, for doing what we could not do for ourselves. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.